So these people are basically victims that are maneuvered by these pimps, so to speak. They won't say anything because they're so afraid of what would happen to them if they do speak. Then there was some kind of a riot at the prison. They never gave up hope. They kept doing everything they could to get Danny out of there. What we're seeing in terms of COVID in the hospitals is the majority of them are unvaccinated. And of the ones who are vaccinated, a large number of them are elderly, a large number of them are immunosuppressed, a large number of them have other diseases. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty on five charges of homicide and reckless endangerment Friday, stemming from an August 2020 incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where Rittenhouse killed two men and shot another during a night of protests and civil unrest. Former assistant Wayne County prosecutor turned criminal defense lawyer Todd Flood spoke with Guy Gordon soon after the verdict was handed down. It's simple. The jury instruction as it relates to self-defense is a powerful jury instruction, and it is a subjective one to the extent that the jurors can't look at how the scene appears to them as they sit in the jury box. They have to look at it. How did the scene when Rittenhouse took those acts? How did it appear to him at the time? Was it an honest and reasonable belief that his life was in fear of either great bodily harm or death? And the jury found that that the prosecution couldn't overcome that hurdle. They could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he basically didn't act in self-defense. So uh, clearly this was a case um, that you can – basically say he made a lot of bad choices, Rittenhouse did. And the prosecution, I think, fumbled the ball quite a bit by not going through the choices Rittenhouse made going into that scene. But the the fact of the matter is, is that no one uh, could honestly say after looking at it that he wasn't in fear of at least great bodily harm when right. he has a skateboard uh, being impaled at him or or used as a weapon towards him. The other gentleman had a gun and pointed it at him and admitted to it. And the other uh, uh, victim in the case uh, reached for Rittenhouse's gun. So it's a very difficult jury instruction for prosecution uh, cases to overcome in uh, self-defense. And in a matter like this, where it's all caught on video, uh, you have to uh, believe that the jury, and I think they did, Obviously, they took three days here and they went through each and every jury instruction and then went painstakingly through all of the video. So at the beginning of the prosecution's opening statements, um, you know, they they kind of painted Kyle Rittenhouse as this vigilante hell bent on violence and bloodlust. In the final analysis, did they destroy their own credibility? Because they, they were telling a different story by the time they got to closing. They did. Um, there, there was a lot of things, if I understood it correctly, uh, that they only spent 48 hours to uh, uh, charge this man and, and indict him. There, there wasn't a lot of work, it sounds like, that was put in front of the charging of this case. Um, right. And by the time they, they got in, into the middle of the fight, they realized their attack was not a good one. Um, when, you, when you think about it, just ask yourself these simple questions. I mean, obviously, Rittenhouse is somewhat of an idiot to be there in the first place, but he's not being charged with being an idiot. Um, But just go through the choices. Uh, You chose to get an AK-47. Yes, you chose to load it with 
a magazine with assault uh, ammunition. Yes, you chose to stay there when things started to get kind of rowdy. You you chose not to seek safe harbor. You chose, you know, and go through his choices, right? So it, you were the one that put yourself into this position of choosing and electing to start the uh, the the you know the mall uh, uh, the the brawl if you will um and, and using the gun you didn't choose to shoot it up in the air no you didn't choose to back people away by giving warning shots so those types of things the self-defense instruction right. you could have you could have maybe as a prosecution thwarted all of that but man they made a lot of things complicated and convoluted and they really upset the the judge a lot and the jury kind of takes a you know sees that when it happens uh, the prosecution getting into the fifth amendment and the right to remain silent the jury may have had their arms folded a few times when listening to the prosecution sure. in this case surprising turn of events earlier this week when local journalist danny fenster was released from prison in myanmar after being resentenced to 11 years hard labor for quote incitement and association with terrorists according to the nation formerly known as Burma. Congressman Andy Levin assisted in the liberation effort, and he spoke with Kevin Dietz. Yes, it's just so, so great. I mean, when you think about Danny Fenster, I've never met him. But having heard about every conversation he's had with our consular officials he and, and his family on the phone, you know, outrageously, excuse me, Kevin, for five and a half months, he was never granted in-person access to our embassy officials. There were so many things like that that were ridiculous, unfair. The charges were baseless, right? But he kept his spirits up. His, his brother, Brian, was an incredible organizer of the family and everybody. His parents, Buddy and Rose Fenster of Huntington Woods, Oh, my gosh, they were just stalwart doing everything they could to get Danny out of there. And there are just way too many people to thank. Uh, but uh, it was a true team effort. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, for for the parents and, and the brothers, family and friends here, I mean, everybody was so proud of the work he was doing as a journalist. And then all of a sudden, uh, he's he's captured and arrested as he's coming home to Detroit, as he's leaving. And all of a sudden, he's facing wild charges, uh, s- sentenced to 11 years and, and still had terrorism with hard labor. charges. With, yeah, with hard, hard labor. labor. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? And so you mentioned the family. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the family. What what was it like for these past six months for the family and with the family? I'm sure they were burning your phone up. You know, Kevin, it was up and down, right? It was up and down. I remember there was a there were so many difficult days for them. Uh, there was the COVID outbreak in, and then there was some kind of a riot at the prison. And was he safe? Yes, he was safe. You know, but how were they to know right in the first moments of that, right? Um, They just came back from every setback. They never gave up hope. They kept doing everything they could to get Danny out of there. And I have to tell you that the U.S. government, um, people involved in something like this rarely get any credit. For example, our ambassador in Burma is a career guy, Tom Vida. He 
you know, nobody ever heard of him. He's devoted his whole life to serving the U.S. of A. in difficult places like this all over. He was totally unflappable, Kevin. Or how about our Spiha, our special presidential envoy for hostage affairs? Um, his name is Roger Carstens. He was appointed by President Trump. President Biden kept him. I love this guy. Total straight shooter. From the first day he gave me his cell phone, he said, we're in this together. We're going to get him out of there. And he just never gave up. So it's been just an incredible team effort. Ambassador Richardson, Governor Richardson, the man with the plane, you know, over there uh, bringing home on a chartered plane. Uh, and now they're flying over Asia out of Fermi's airspace. So it's a beautiful day. So when something like this happens, walk us through some of the things you do. Do you, do you, do you contract, contact the State Department and say, hey, what can we do here? So much of this has to get done behind the scenes. What kinds of things take place to, to free somebody like Danny Fenster? Well, you know, it, it varies with every case, I would say. It depends on the nature of the foreign government. Like right now, we have Michiganders who are held hostage in Haiti that are by a criminal gang. You know, so that's a whole different cup of tea, unfortunately, bitter tea. Uh, but we're working very hard to get them out and the others from Ohio and Canada. Um, but in this case, uh, you know, we were immediately in contact with uh, Secretary Blinken's office. Uh, they, they got us going with the embassy in Burma right away. I will never forget the day, Kevin, that Roger Carstens, the special presidential envoy, came to Huntington Woods, sat down with the family and me for hours, brought the guy with him who was going to be full-time on the case, and just listened to the family, walked them through all the steps, all the possibilities. Um, so, you know, and a lot of stuff that happened, you can't really talk about, um, you know, and, we, and, and we'll never really see the light of day. Michigan State Police are investigating a possible human trafficking ring after being tipped off by what seemed like a routine traffic stop. Lieutenant Mike Shaw with Paul W. Smith. Back on the 16th, uh, our troopers were working patrol, happened to see a, a person speeding uh, on 8 Mile near Shaner on the Detroit Warren border. Uh, made contact with this person, and the driver is actually a 15-year-old female um, that uh, didn't have a license, kind of gave him a shady name. Uh, one of the things that we talked to our troopers about in our training from the very beginning is, you know, the, the speeding violation is great, but let's find out what's, you know, what's going on after that. And they were able to gain the confidence of this uh, the driver and, and found out that uh, she was actually a victim of human trafficking. Uh, the, the officers were able to get her to the hospital, uh, get her the help she needed, and hopefully get her on her way to get out of that situation that she was in. Uh, but also what we do is uh, we take the information we glean from them and we try to find the person that's trafficking them. Sometimes it's one or two. And uh, believe it or not, they're, they're called pimps still to this day oh, and, and try to find those people. And uh, we were able to execute some search warrants and were able to arrest one male suspect last night, uh, found two adult uh, females that were also victims of these particular individuals. Um, we're working with our federal partners now. We're kind of going back and forth if we're going to take this federally or, or through state charges. So through this one 
a simple traffic stop, we were able to rescue three people uh, from a horrible, horrible life. I'll tell you what. Uh, first of all, once again, excellent police work by those troopers to be so perceptive to uh, delve a little further into this unusual story. 15-year-old speeding, doesn't have an ID, uh, doesn't have a real good story about what's going on. But what also is pointed out here, I think, and you'll further explain this, Lieutenant, but here you had uh, this young lady, a victim of teen sex trafficking, and I'm assuming she was alone in the car, and she had an opportunity to speak to a couple of state troopers and tell them, please help me, I'm being held captive, and, and I need your help to get away from this. And she didn't do that until you guys kind of probed a little further into what was going on. It indicates how insidious, how terrible this crime is because she obviously was scared out of her wits of what this, as you put it, pimp would do if she turned him in. I mean, she had an excellent opportunity. She had help right there and still didn't bring it up. And that's the sad part about the whole thing is a lot of people think that, you know, human trafficking, be it labor or sex trafficking or either one, you know, they, they picture the TV version where people are grabbed in a van and, you know, bags put over your head and then you're taken off and, and doing that. Usually it's not that case. Usually the case is it's somebody that's vulnerable already, possibly a runaway, which we see quite a bit of. Um, they get uh, taken in by these uh, by these men and women uh, who start to give them what they're looking for, attention, uh, making them part of a family, uh, kind of grooming them towards that, maybe actually have having a romantic relationship with them, uh, then what they do is they start to maneuver them towards whatever they want them to do, either forced labor, uh, sex acts, things like that. Um, but that whole time they start telling them, well, your family didn't want you anyways. Uh, if you tell the police, they're just going to arrest you because you've committed a crime yeah. or else they get them, you know, hooked onto narcotics, things like that. So these people are basically victims that are maneuvered by these so to speak, um, that make them do what they want and make them so afraid that at times um, they could be by themselves and have contact with law enforcement and they won't say anything because they're so afraid of what would happen to them if they do speak or the person that's, you know, got a hold of them uh, makes them think that, you know, they're not going to listen anyways. All the police are going to do is arrest you or your parents are going to be embarrassed because now you're you're hooked on narcotics. So it's a very, very nasty, nasty thing that these people go through that will affect them through the rest of their life, regardless what kind yeah. of counseling or anything they get. Right. You know, and that's why we ask people to get involved. You know, be nosy. Find out what's going on. If something doesn't seem right, you know, call the police. We'll See something? And if it's See nothing, something? It's nothing. See something? Say something? Do something? Michigan now holds the dubious honor of being the worst COVID hotspot in the nation with infection rates being the highest they've been since the pandemic started. Dr. Matthew Sims from Beaumont joined Guy Gordon to break down what's going on and to talk about how we should proceed with Thanksgiving coming up. You know, it is, and things keep changing. Um, you know, if, if we were still with the original strain of COVID, things would be very different now. But yeah. All viruses do and all bacteria do. It keeps changing and we keep having to change how we deal with it. 
So on social media and uh, and also on M Live, they've been dealing with this. Questions from their readers, and I've seen these questions a lot. And that is how families, how they should process this increased case rate. Um, I'm hearing questions from readers uh, and listeners about concerns when it comes to having unvaccinated guests over for the feast, asking the question, are we exposing them unnecessarily to perhaps asymptomatic cases we as vaccinated family members may be carrying, or are they exposing us because they're unvaccinated? What, how should families process the question about whether to have unvaccinated guests over? You know, it's it's a really difficult question. I've had many people ask me it. And, you know, of course, I, I feel a little uncomfortable getting involved in sort of family politics, so to speak. But the fact of the matter is, you're right. I mean, it's a risk both ways. Unvaccinated people are more likely to have it. They're more likely to get sicker. Um, you know, so they can be bringing it in. And as I've said many times, you know, the vaccine is not a suit of armor. At best, it's a shield. Right. So if you're sitting in a room with somebody with covid for hours, you know, in close proximity, you can still get infected even if you have the vaccine. But you're more likely to, you know, have a low, you know, low symptoms, low, you know, more likely to be asymptomatic, et cetera. That said, it's not zero. But on the other way, if you happen to be vaccinated and have an asymptomatic case, People who are unvaccinated coming over are more likely to get it and have a much worse case. So and if we have a lot of elders right, coming ways. over, if we have what a lot that? of elders coming over that are vaccinated, but who may not have received the booster, and two thirds of those over 65 have not received the booster, should our rules change? You know, agreed. You know, the um, you know what we're seeing in terms of COVID in the hospitals is. The majority of them are unvaccinated. Um, And of the ones who are vaccinated, a large number of them are elderly. A large number of them are immunosuppressed. A large number of them have other diseases that make it more likely that they're going to get sicker if they get COVID. So you have to take into consideration, you know, who's going to be in that room. Yeah, I, I, you know, for a family that is completely vaccinated, maybe they've even, you know, uh, you know, they've, they've kept their kids in pods and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to help them with what they may be thinking when they see the Washington Senators, the NHL, the hockey club, uh, excuse me, the Ottawa Senators. Uh, they were entirely fully vaccinated as a team, and yet 40 percent of their roster has now tested positive i don't know you've seen this but i mean to those of us that are fully vaccinated we're going to be getting together with other vaccinated family members in close quarters uh maybe we're not going to be sweating and spitting on each other accidentally but we're going to be in close quarters how should we interpret that outbreak in in our vaccinated population yeah you know again without me knowing a little more detail it's harder to to say for sure what might have happened there you know, again, all vaccinated, but was there a big central exposure? You know, is this all turning positive by antigen testing? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know all the details. Of yeah, that was it Moderna outbreak, or J and J? Yeah, I mean the the, the yeah, vaccine. Yeah, you know, was it J and J, which isn't as good? There's a lot of there's a lot of potential questions, but you know, I'll I'll tell you again, you know, sort of what I did when I got together with family recently. So, you know, my my wife's uh, father and stepmother, 
uh, was her 75th birthday, we went to visit and, you know, had our kids with us. Now they're vaccinated. We're vaccinated. Uh, my youngest not, was not yet vaccinated. She's now gotten her first shot. We went. We got together with them. We all wore masks the whole time. You know, when we yeah. went out to eat, we ate outdoors. Um, you know, tried to keep away from people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while we were, you know, outdoors and eating and just kept safe distance and, and used masks. And, you know, it's not as it's not as simple as, oh, we all come over and we all just hang out and everything, but it keeps everybody safe. Yeah. And that's the key. That'll do it for Pod Sui. For full podcasts or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.